Coming to you live, this is your MTG Action Forward News Team. Hello, this is MTG Action 4 News, your news team for keeping things fresh on the multiverse. I'm Mr. Commodore Provide, providing you new ways to lose your friends. Then we have Big Tuck, your breaking news source. Yes, and as my friends told me during our last budget commander-a-thon, oh no, it wasn't the commander damage. It was the beer that killed Big Tuck. Vorthos Mike with the art deals you want to steal. Always about that hustle. Well, we're going to start off the top of the castle, ladies, and carnage that ensued with... 45. So, uh, the game I wanted to talk about, I got to play with our patrons. Uh, whenever this episode releases, it's probably been many, many moons uh, have passed. And it was funny, because this was somewhat set up, uh, Vorthos Mike, um, as a revenge game of sorts with one of our patrons. He had, we had played a few weeks ago. He had this like cool gimmicky thing he was trying to do. Um, and I ended up killing him before he had a chance to do it. And so he was like, oh man, I literally had it in hand. You know, you could have killed another person, but you chose me. And he was like, I'm getting revenge. Ne next time you're playing, we're playing. I'm coming, like, I'm right, coming, I'm coming for blood. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, I kind of let the group know, hey, I'm going to be available to play on a Sunday. Uh, told them a time. And we get down, and they're like, all right, what deck are you going to play, Mr. Combo? And I had just spent the last five nights unsleeving and double-sleeving four different decks with those new Mythic Frame sleeves that you guys might have seen on Twitter. Right, right. Took forever. But I was like, you know what? I don't even care. I didn't even do it on my best decks. I just did it on some ones that I thought the art would be kind of like a cool mirrored thing. Like I did uh, the goblin one, which had some snake dragon type art on around the edge. I did that with Zerus, the, the writhing storm. I was like, oh, okay. Those kind of match tracks. So I ended up playing my Zafi deck. Um, it's the, that new or new old. Is it pre-con um, from Strixhaven? Lots of fun. You know, and I'd say the deck's probably like a six, seven. I mean, I didn't tune it by any means. Right. I just kind of took the pre-con, slammed probably 25, 30 cards that I wanted to in there, and I was done. Um, so I thought it, you know, and I have played games where the deck goes off, and then I've played games where, you know, it just doesn't do anything. So I thought it'd be a good neutral balance. Well, so I sat down at a table with Zyrus, uh, of course, Spencer Rabbits. <laughs> King Rickers was there with his Alayla deck. And then okay. uh, Cameron was there with his Feather deck. And so I'm starting off the game rough. I have to mulligan three or four times. I'm down to six. <laughs> I have my whole hand is lands with one spell. But I kind of had the mindset, and Tuck, you may recall this, when we were recording with Jim from the Spike Feeders, yeah. he was like, hey, sometimes I'll take four or five land hands, and that's what I want, right, right, is right. that I can get to my gas and my other stuff. I've I've somewhat filtered the deck. So I, I, I was like, okay, you know, Jim's smarter than me. He's on the CAG. Let's do it. Why not? So I keep it, and I literally land pass, land pass, land pass. I'm not doing anything. Done goofed. Um, and eventually, you know, I do cast Zaffy, but I don't have any instants or sorceries. Uh, I eventually get, I think it's Vehron, the double trigger. If something oh, else has a trigger, you get an additional. The voice of duality? The backup commander. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I had that. No instance of sorceries. <laughs> uh, Sunbird's Invocation. No, nothing to cast at that point. My hand was kind of empty, so I was struggle Strong. busting. And then when I actually was getting things, it was like, let me opt Sunbird for one. Oh, that's a whiff. Bottom. I mean, it just, I wasn't getting a lot. 
Um, and, and during all of this, Cameron's doing the, well, Mr. Combo, you're not producing flyers, so I'm going to hit you with Feather just because Alayla and Zerus can produce flying. That's, you know, if I'm going to kill anyone off command damage, you're probably the only one I'll be able to. So I think, it, you know, at one point I had 11 command damage. Uh, Spencer Rabbits had at one point 80 snakes yep. with coat of arms of on snack. the battlefield. A lot of snack. Lot Thanks, Cirrus, the worst and, commander printed in the last two years. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, the Alayla deck wasn't really doing a ton on the board, at least. And so it gets around. I'm going off. You know, Spencer's going to swing out and win the game. And, but he kept making us draw cards. Well, he drew me into Capsize, and I had open mana. Oh. So I went ahead and Capsize Coat of Arms when, oh. right before damage. Uh, so, you know... None of us died. We took care of the snakes. I got some thank yous. Uh, he ended up drawing me into Blasphemous Act. Cast that for one. Wiped the board. Yeah. I got a lot of thank yous. Um, and then it comes to like towards the end of the game. He's kind of built back up. and he, But he just has Xeris. And it'd be Xeris for nine. And I was like, you know what? Spencer, I got one card in hand. Hit me. You know what? I don't have any blockers. One person has Ghostly Prison. You don't have to waste mana. Just, just go ahead and hit me for a taste. He hits me, I draw nine, I draw nine, and I win the game on my turn. What'd you get, Kyle? I, I, I ended up playing the, uh, oh my god, Aria Flame. Uh -huh. Literally in one turn, yeah. took it from one to 18. Oh my god. And nice. at that point, the ever, the last two people conceded because it was like, I can keep going. Yep. Because I just, I got really lucky and I started Sunbirds Invocationing into spells that would give me more red mana, you know. Oh, the, sure. Hey, um, add a red for all of your tapped opponents' lands yep. or non-basics, any of that type of stuff. So I just was just spell after spell after spell. Oh, we're getting double triggers. And at this point, guys, I didn't even have Zafi on the battlefield. It was yep. literally just me spell slinging and Aria flaming and just getting them. And so uh, I ended up winning. And of course, <laughs> at the end, Cameron was like, you know what? I should have just let Spencer win because he had said that he could have done something with my cap size. But, you know, being in Feather, I'm not exactly sure. Oh, he probably had read Elemental Blast. Right. Just yeah, that's it. what I was going to say. So, yeah, he, ch he chose not to do it because I guess he thought he would still gonna have a chance. And I definitely thought that. But that was my game. Uh, it was a revenge game. <laughs> Zafi did 18 spells in one turn. And uh, I ended up winning, Mr. Combo. So. Again, 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 as people say in the uh, forty life in a dash section uh, or the quarantine battlegrounds, should have knocked him out when he had the chance. As always, since ever. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, Mike, have you got to play any magic games recently that you think are memorable enough to talk about? Sure, sure. So um, I was out of town this past week uh, in a different city. I was in Chicago, kicking it. Um, and uh, you know, you, you know, yeah, get them. Uh, but I had to play a little commander on my trip. You know, obvi. Yeah. I had some evenings open because I was by myself. Um, and we came upon this experience where you know all people did play in a couple different games, and I played sure. Karametra a couple times. So obviously, enchantment matters clearly, right? And yep. you got to think, what is the scariest enchantment that you encounter? Right? You think of like a moat. You think of like abyss. Like. Mm -hmm. Just like crippling things that you're chains like, I of kill that chains of mesosphosphiles that Mr. Combo still needs. <laughs> right, right. It's things of that sort, but those things generally don't last a turn, right? Like the sure. land, people are like, I just want to see it used once or twice because they're so old, right? You just never yeah. see them. It's like when you see a tabernacle actually played, you're like, okay, how does this actually work? 
and you want to see sure, it, right? Sure. So you let it survive a turn. Um, yeah. So I, I, I put in some old, old-timey tech into this just because it's not super competitive. Like, it's not like an 8, 9, 10, and not like an internet 8, 9, 10, which is actually like a 13 to 17, real talk. Uh, <laughs> they're like, it's an 8, and I'm like, it's CDH, it's fine. You could just say, it. it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> so I, I, this actually was like an actual like 6, 7. So I played okay. Damping Field, right? Old-timey, yeah, enchantment, yeah. whatever. Is it strong? No. It, it's not. It, it just, you can't untap artifacts. Everybody's got artifacts, mana rocks. But it looks scary. Sure. Just by the fact of it being super old border, like Antiquities, yep. Legends, yep. Arabian, as soon as you see those, you're just like, oh, overpowered stuff, overpowered stuff, overpowered <laughs> stuff, and people just freak out. And it's just like, no, it's actually kind of fine. Every time I tried to cast it, immediately countered. Like, <laughs> really? hard counters. Like, that you use wow. only on Boom Boom stuff. Heart countered every time. And I'm just like, this is bait? Yo! So it's just really interesting for me to have, like, you have opalescence, and then, ha, 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 I'm yeah. running five fives, who cares? But that was a more terrifying thing, because people hadn't seen it before. Sure. So it's just a really interesting thing that it's not played in a ton of decks. It doesn't really cripple the board. It'll give you a little value here and there and slow down, like, the artifact player, because there's always one. But... It was just shocking to me that even players I've played with for years and I've been around for a really long time are still like, yeah, uh, that looks expensive, but it's probably good. Yeah, it, it See, really isn't that good or really not that expensive. But well, and, and that's what I was going to say, as I think that's the correlation that people have with those older cards is, oh, you have an older card. So, A, that must mean it's probably over a thousand dollars because magic is a ridiculously expensive hobby now. Yep. And B, well, if it's worth that much and it's that old, it's probably broken and busted. And so I just have to kill you now. And you're and you're probably you're probably a broken, busted player for owning a copy of it because you've been playing yes. for 40 years. And now exactly. you're an asshole, right? Oh, you <laughs> pub stomping, you pub stomping. I make the cards like $18. Like, that's really not... It's like part of the reserve list, don't get me wrong, but like... This is not an unattainable thing, but mm -hmm. heaven well, forbid. I mean, that's, that's very similar because, I mean, we have some people in our play group that have been playing Magic for a very long time as well. And so, you know, some of them just own copies of Force of Will just from the past. And, you know, they'll have it in a deck that's not CEDH or tuned even. It's just a fine deck. But you, you see you see them play Force of Will. It's like, whoa, whoa. Force of Will. Because um, that'll happen well, to me. Yeah, I have a pretty big. big <laughs> yeah, well, because I, I Grim Monolith is my pet, pet favorite expensive card. Alter the Brood's really my favorite card, but Grim Monolith, I, I got obsessed with it, and I'll run it in decks where it doesn't do Grim Monolith stuff, right, but right. still my playgroup freaks out because it's like, oh, Mr. Combo has oh. a Grim Monolith, he's probably going infinite, yeah. and it's like, well, actually, I just had a spare, and I just no, wanted to put you it in are, the deck because no, I needed a mana okay, rock. Now, to be fair, most decks that you played in have a way to go infinite in it with one other card mm. legitimately. There are a handful <laughs> but of times... What do you do? There are what a handful do do? of times where you run it in the decks just because you have a spare. <laughs> oh, I'm just I'm trying to play a big hurricane. Get off of me. Relax. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Yeah, it's fine. It's, on that it's always going to be shenanigans. Uh, so but good. I do like some of the I do like your monolith for the for the gold bordered value because I play gold border because I'm not a cop when I play. Yeah, yeah. yes, I'm sir. Not a cop. Oh, I'm not a cop. Let's go. Like every time when someone's like, hey, can I can I play this? And I'm like, hell yeah. You want to play that without sleeves? Even better. Do it yeah. live. <laughs> <laughs> Championship you know back. Awesome. Because <laughs> I, I am very so I'm anti gold bordered unless you own an actual copy of the card because I've. Yeah. Mainly because, Mike, it's his fault. It's Tuck's fault. 
because it was like three years ago or four years ago. And of course, it was a late night. We were drinking and we were texting. And he was like, you coward. Like, why are you putting proxies in your deck? Because my rule at the time was you just need to own a copy of the card and you just put it in as many decks as you want. Like, who really cares at that point? It's fair. And he ended up guilting me, though, one night into like going out. And I ended up, and of course, this is pre COVID spikes. But, you know, I went out and bought like three Gaia's Cradles. I got like four Volcanic Islands. I just basically replaced all of the proxies and in all of my you decks. You should be thanking and- me because I just gave you stock tips. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah, that's, that's usually my thing. But I'll say this, and this is for the collective I will amend my gold bordered distaste. If you play them unsleeved, like Mike just said, Dude, and you have to have a slab of concrete as your playmat to simulate 90s uh, sidewalk experiences. Wait, Thanks, Trey. That's how you get to play gold. Did I, Dude, Did you, I tell this, you don't even. I love that. I told the story about the I told the story about the Alpha Taiga that I sniped on one of these 40 Life in the Dash, right? Oh, no? yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Mike, obviously, you know. OK, I know exactly what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> All right, well, uh, Tuck, why don't you talk about your game where you apparently yeah. you're sniping alphas? Okay, so I have two I have two games I want to talk about. Well, like an experience and then this two different experiences. So the first one was one of our friends in our new play group, uh, Kabuki Ken, has he's like a whale. Like, he's been playing for a long time. He used to play, like, semi-competitively, but he has, like, actual plateaus and uses, like, some cards that are heavily played as proxies of cards that are actual things that he has in his binder, (laughs) right? Like, I don't know what he does. I think he's like a senior quality assurance person. Who cares? I don't know. But like the biggest thing that he's, this is the biggest like whale, like globetrotting move ever seen. He was playing his red green deck and he played a Taiga that was revised, I think. And then he was like, oh, sorry, guys, let me show you. The, let me let me play the actual Taiga. This is just the proxy. And then pulls out a nine graded beta Taiga and puts like he has it in the box. Right. And he puts a box down on the playmat. And I was like, and everyone's like, oh, like he's done this before. Right. Like just this yeah. is like his gimmick. And then I was playing one of my I was playing one of my Orzov's decks, literally top deck ghost quarters. So I was like, OK, I'm going to play this 90 cent card. And at a complete detriment against mine, I'm sniping that Taiga. So you have to now put the original Taiga back into your graveyard and throw away the Taiga of the giant box. That you then suck on that. So that's what to say about that. The the another experience I want to talk about was this last Saturday we played um, our the second budget challenge I can make to where the the gimmick was that you could take a a commander precon from the last three years and add fifteen dollars into it. Um, Mr. Combo, you'll appreciate this. The big change was this was the first sighting of the one, the only Scooty Shuffles in months. Oh, he came okay. out. Uh, he'd been working at a bar. This is a guy who got me into Commander Mike uh, up in Chicago. Drink, no worries. Uh, but he came out and he had the Paco dog deck that I still have nightmares from, from Boise Dan, as he's now referred to as. And let me tell you, with a $15 upgrade, it, he was the arch enemy slash biggest contender at the table every single really? game. Dude, he played, was good. We Paco played two games. It, it was insanity. Like, it, it, he couldn't lose um, until he lost. I won one. Then the alcohol started seeping in. I don't remember who won the other two. But uh, I will say that it was a really good time. And uh, I also ran the new vampire deck. 
the red black uh blood focused one and it is really really solid uh it was very strong getting those blood tokens to cycle through your deck uh getting them to trigger off other artifacts i thought it was going to be kind of a jokey and mr combo we've talked about this before like BS vampire tribal nonsense. It's yeah. not at all. It's like kind of a controly deck that also has that tribal synergy, which is a lot of okay. like what I'm looking for in a new deck. Um, and I will say that the new Anji in it is completely, completely busted. It was like insane. Hmm. Like I quickly turned to the arch enemy. I was taking 20 minute long turns, even though I was like actually sitting there. Now I wasn't distracted. I was like, I got to go through this. Uh, and that was very, very exciting for me because I thought it was just going to be another BS trash vampire precon to run out. Well, that's exciting, man. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, you know, it's I definitely, you know, I would like to build a legendary vampire, but it's weird. I actually don't want vampire tribal. Uh, I don't want to do tribal with it. I just want it to be a very cool, interesting vampire mechanic. Almost yeah. kind of like the old school Olivia where she was biting other. That's what I'm saying. That's what I was just going to say. I think that might be the one. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, it's just so overly costed, though, to do yeah. any of those effects. You gotta pay seven. It's like playing Memnarch, except it, instead yeah. of artifacts, you're playing vampires. So Mike doesn't like that. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But it's just like you have to wait so long to do anything yeah. that mm -hmm. someone can disrupt it. And then all of a sudden they, they bounce your person or they like lignify. And then you're like, well, now what? Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. And then it's just feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. About the only thing that you could maybe do is I guess you could throw conspiracy in there. Have everything be oh. vampires and then you just start picking stuff off like that would spicy. be kind of cool yeah. that'd be pretty spicy. i just i just can't remember if the theft effect is the black mana or the red mana activation because i know it's one of each one's the bite i think maybe the bite is red because that's like damage based uh, and the black is I the can thief tell you right now uh the black the black is the thief okay because yeah i mean black does do big black mana stuff yeah. So, you know, you could produce 30 mana pretty easy and then, hey, let me steal the 10 best creatures out here. Like, that'd be kind of cool. But then the deck, well, actually, that's perfect because, Mike, I have 40-ish EDH deck, something like that. And so I've kind of hit a point in deck building that I have to do something very weird <clears throat> and uh, what we call on this channel sweaty, uh, something that you have to really, really work for. Okay. And I think it'd be fun to do that Olivia and have the whole gimmick be the only way I'm going to win is by getting conspiracy out and stealing all your creatures and hitting you with them. That would be kind of interesting. Hmm. Sounds like shenanigans a minute. Ooh, pretty much. <laughs> I like it. Well, guys, that's going to wrap up 40 Life in a Dash. Now to cover what's going on in your local multiverse. What's the plane chase? So we have a friend of the channel um, for, I believe, many, many years. Uh, and Vorthos Mike here. And we thought it would be fun for December? December. We are doing December. Uh, not Toyotathon. No. Um. Oh, but also uh, Mr. Combo and Mike. Merry Chrysler. Chrysler, miss. <laughs> Merry Chrysler. <laughs> and, yeah, and also Happy Honda Days for those. We want to cover all of our all of our car friends uh, out there. I was, I was about to go Happy Audi Days. Oh. Audi Days. <laughs> Honda Days, baby. Um, and so we thought it would be cool to have someone who's really tied into the magic art piece of it um, and Vorthos Mike. So, Mike, if you could, why don't you give just the, the community, you know, a little background about yourself, 
how long you've been involved in magic and, and kind of what led you down the path that you're currently at as somewhat of an art curator. All right, I'll go into a quick. All right, uh, started in 94, Boy Scout tent. Um, <laughs> Got to play it, played big green, you know, but then you try to play like Blessing with like Giant Spider. Didn't work so well back then, uh, <laughs> it turns out. But then once I found out Giant Spider worked with his big mouse friend, you know, Giant Growth. Oh my God, killing sure angels felt amazing. You know, yeah. and then obviously, you know, I figured out the dark ritual and the hippie and then just brought violence. Like it was just violence. It was just pure violence. You woke up that morning and chose violence. It was just like after that, it was before, it was pre-post violence. Like it just got out of hand. Um, but from there, you know, played for a while, played throughout middle school, high school, da, 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 da. Um, had to go to college, had to stop playing um, like most people did. Um, but came back in in college um once i got my groove uh figured out you know what i'm going to be studying what i'm going to be working on whatever joined forums pretty heavily um for you know the old magic forums and there was an art one there was like a flavor one and like an art themed one and that was like i lived there that was my thing uh okay. i kept up one mega thread on spectrum so people that don't know spectrum is an annual art book and it's for uh you have to submit your art you pay costs like 20 30 bucks whatever and uh it's considered the best of the fantastic art so sci-fi, fantasy, whatever. Okay. The overarching term is called imaginative realism. That, that That's the fine art term, right? You've heard of like realistic realism art of like British realism or whatever. Imaginative realism is the technical term because fantasy sci-fi okay. is kind of narrow. So this book, it comes out once a year and um, I would check to see how many magic works get in per year because they submit a boatload. And it's really hard to win an award. Each category like book, cover, uh, uh, editorial, um, sure. Unpublished, which is the personal work, that's always the hardest one because that's when people go hard. And then yeah. one was like um, institutional, which would be like magic, blizzard, da -da 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 -da, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I just I saw one. That's, the, I saw one that's clearly Warhammer, so that's up there too, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. All of those would be in that jam. So I kept this up on the forum page um, every year. Every year, I'd add the things and add the pictures, whatever, and then just continue with that. And then I wrote little. Lord of every now and then. From there, Trick Jarrett talked to me back in the day before Trick uh, was at Wizards. He worked on uh, Mana Nation and then Gathering Magic and whatever, and that became cool stuff. Um, and he's like, you should write about art. I know who you are. You should write about art. And I'm like, what? Uh, okay. And he's like, you should do it. Know what he's doing this. Because at the time, it was only like me, John Dale Beatty over at uh, Star City Games, Jordy Tate over at Star City Games, and that was kind of it. Like there just oh, okay. wasn't anybody. There wasn't anybody talking about this. There was no YouTube that was because YouTube sure. was brand new by then. You know, there were, there was no Magic Man Sam just living it up with Ristic Studies, whatever his name is now. Um, <laughs> so there wasn't like this steady content where people were talking about this. Even like finding the JPEG was difficult. That was a oh, hard thing wow. to see back then. You just didn't. Okay. Some artists just didn't ever post. Like Chase Stone, right now, good luck. He doesn't have a web page, and he doesn't oh. update it. So it's just. It's not there. <laughs> Kev Walker doesn't have a page. And that's fine. It's just that was everyone back then. So it became this thing where you could get in a relationship with Wizards, get preview cards, whatever, and you'd get the art out there, right? It was a cool thing. So I did that for a decade, I guess. A decade? Long time. Uh, I have a giant archive. Um, and from that, it's always like, man, I really wish we did a magic art show. Yeah. Why isn't they doing it? They did a magic art book. That was so cool. Why don't we do that? <laughs> but then it's like, well, why don't I just do it? Yeah. So I, I call up three known associates and uh, say, hey, we're going to do a magic art show. And everyone's like, oh, okay. <laughs> do you have institutional backing? And I'm like, I don't really need it. What are they going to stop me? 
So I call them up and I'm like, we're going to do a GP Vegas. And they're like, mm-hmm. what? Channel fireballs through the through the roof. They're like, hold up. You want to bring an art show to our biggest event of the year? You're going to choose us. And I'm like, yeah, why not? So we set up a Kickstarter because, you know, you got to pay for walls. Obviously, yep, yep. can't just put yep. them on the ground. What is it? Your <laughs> college basement? Like, no, not your bedroom there. Mattress on the floor. No. So yeah, you, we, you can't be like the uh, street vendors I saw in Italy last month. where Literally, <laughs> there's just like art on hustling. the ground and people are stepping on it. And hustling. You know, just just absolute uh, chaos. No, I can't do that. So yeah. we did a Kickstarter and then like 43, 45 days later, we do an art show. There was over 200 pieces. People were like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, I really wish it was more like a museum. And I'm like, we did this another two months. You're welcome. Relax. <laughs> this is a proof of concept, right? You can't yeah. go from nothing to we're going to be at the Louvre. You it, it, yeah. it didn't work. You got to do things in between there. So that did the proof of concept. And then, then from there, Wizards is like, would you do more of these? And I'm like, sure. What not? year was this? That was 2017. Um, okay. 2018. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I mean, a couple years ago. Um, 2017, 20, 2017, 2018, we did the, um, uh, 25th anniversary in Tokyo, um, which was a giant exhibition. We had 13,000 people through in a seven day period, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, we brought art over there. Uh, we had, uh, exhibitions, uh, all sorts of just like timeline stuff, really cool things. There was like the unique, uh, dragon that's only in Tokyo. That was there, the painting and the card oh, okay. was there. So that was really neat for people to see. Um, but then there was like animation stuff. We had style guides out with like redacted pieces. Yeah. So or, super, super experiential. Wait, so you're also saying that you're saying that they could have also been redacted bits uh, at this, oh my God. At this Go thing away. as well, Go right? Away. There Go were away. redacted bits, uh, pixelated. Yeah. Excellent. Perfect. Okay, cool. I, like, I <laughs> knew were, that we had a connection here. I was just there like, were, there, there, were some, there were redacted pieces. There's actually two videos there that are totally redacted and people can't even see anymore. One was made by the animator of Akira. Yeah, that Akira. He made a fan art video. Wow. With like Phyrexians. It was That's wild. insane. Yeah. And then one of the animators from Naruto also made one and they were side by side in this dark room. And then one would go and the other would go. And then you continued on. And <laughs> wow. they've never shown them past that show. Ever. Really? You I don't have even no... have you don't even have a file of it. Mm-mm. I tried to take one on my phone and then they're like, yeah. No, we need you okay. to redact hey, that right. bit. Hey, yeah, we totally, we totally, we totally understand, right? Like, we really respect all that and all that stuff. Um, and okay, guys, I gotta use the bathroom. We better stop recording real quick. Okay, Mike, you can totally show me that, right? You can send me that. Give me that smoke right now. You, you can give me, you yeah. can give me that Naruto one, right? It's uh, it, it was pretty ridiculous how big that that got. Like, we had Fetchland original art there. We had Alpha art there. Like, it was bananas. We had Stormcrow there, yeah. which Japanese players don't get. The meme. They didn't care. They didn't care at all. Like, like our two Americans were like, "Yeah!" Japanese walk right by. They didn't care at all. It was really funny when you get like so zoned in. You're like, "Ah, Photoshop," and then like Germans are like, "I don't get it." It, What's up with little guy? Like, it was just really weird. That cultural exchange was really fun. Um, From there, I did an art show at uh, MIAD, the Milwaukee Institute. Um, So we did it with an art college. So we wanted to bring art students in and then have like magic artists go in the show to talk about their art oh, yeah. with students wow. and break it yeah. down. So it was like a sketch. It wasn't even a sketch. It was like word description of what you need to paint. Thumbnails, sketch, color study, rough study, painting, card. So you could see this full progression of how oh, things wow. got made like step by step by step by step. And then we had videos even that would show that. 
all this in process. So we've had these things where it's not just paintings on a wall and you're like, ah, that's neat. Yeah. It really is. It fits the space. It's experiential. And because of that, now whenever there there is a thing, it's like, well, Mike, do you know where to put paintings? I'm like, well, anybody can do that. You just find somebody's paintings, put them on a wall. Sure. Course. What changes it is the experience that you have yeah. there yeah. of, I saw something or I, that I couldn't see before. I got mm-hmm. to see playtest cards in context to the original Calvin and Hobbes book that shows the time of plays and then how the card changed over time through playtest to the final iterized version. Wow. So it's mm-hmm. really fascinating design elements, which is still art, um, as part of this overall show. And that's what I've been working on. And right now I'm working on uh, two shows, um, well, maybe three. Um, but definitely they're farther in the future because of COVID. Um, looking like yep. 2023, 2024. Gotcha. So that's wow. who I am. And people find me on, on Twitter at Vorthos Mike. I do these art auctions all the time. Um, and funds I raise for that help me do art shows. Because you, you can't just go to an art show one time and set it up. Like, you need to fly there. Fly back there. Fly back there. Like, I flew to <laughs> Milwaukee from Minneapolis, which is literally the plane gets up and then goes straight down to the air. <laughs> like, they don't even give you a snack. They're just like, that's yeah, fine. Um, I did it, like, four times. So that, you know, those things come up, cost a lot. You need a hotel. You need food. Yeah, so absolutely. I do that art selling stuff to cover that. Otherwise, it's just out of my pocket. And, you know, I'm not a wealthy man. Uh, sure. Cover sure. constantly. So that's kind of this self-perpetuating thing that fuels the next thing. And then I have startup money to say, okay, museum, we can offer you some startup funds to, you know, get idea generating, whatever, whatever, almost sure. like a sponsorship, like a museum would get through like a, mm-hmm. a Delta Airlines or whatever the heck. Yeah. Yeah. And then that continues on this process. Um, and right now, other places in the world absolutely want shows. Japan wants another one. Brazil super wants one. It's just, it has to work into scheduling and where wizards wants to put in focus in different areas so that's me in a nutshell i live in minneapolis um i collect art avidly and uh yeah people hit me up for art stuff all the time and uh, i always love talking to people about art so that's why i'm here so something i'm curious about mike um is because it sounds like it's very time consuming like putting together these shows and stuff so is this what you would you almost call this like your actual second job or would you still put this into the you know what i just do this for fun and at any point, if I want to stop it, like, you know, income does it, you know, it's just I, I can just walk away and it's no big deal. Well, I mean, we don't have kids. So I, I think of this as like, you know, I mean, settled into my career and I'm set and that if I'm going to be working for another 20, 30 years. Yeah. What is actual impact I can make on anything, to be honest? Mm-hmm. And and I worked in museums. I was an art director for literally a gaming company. So Star Wars LCG. I did that. That was me. I hired artists like I did. So I've done those pieces to be like, okay, that was fun. I worked in rights and reproductions. That's why I know so much about copyright at a museum. I've done some of these pieces, but I want to change something. And one thing that is, is that we as wizards know about card art because it's two inches by three inches. But our other experiences with museums are like when we're kids, 12 year olds. Mm don't touch anything, stop talking, white museums, you know, you're in a group, whatever. You, you, you see the Mona Lisa, you see the other three boom booms in the museum and you leave, right? Like yeah. you don't find, oh, that was cool. I kind of like that Andy Warhol thing, but you don't have this deep, like joy of yeah. it. When you like make a commander deck and you're like, I, I have six versions of Lana Wells or whatever. <laughs> Which one do I choose? You know? Mm-hmm. Right now, I, I, I don't even choose Lana War Elves. I choose uh, Winona Nelson's um, Elf. 
her actual Elvish mystic, the FNM promo, because she is a, a indigenous woman from, from Minnesota, part of the Chippewa tribe. It's a, a touching Lake Superior. She painted herself oh. in traditional oh, garb cool. to have this like real world piece in magic. So That's for me, so cool. that is very much like this is Minnesota pride in a card. And I'll never play on anywhere else because I'll only play this version. And I really only like one of them in a commander deck. Sure. But that <laughs> experience and that tie for seeing this art, and it's, you know, it's big, it's really neat. I want other people to have that where they have this deep tie and they go into museums and say, I want to see the magic art. If there yeah. isn't any, what's the next closest thing? Well, these this 19th century thing with this Hudson River Valley and... And, yeah. and you see me talk about these memes on Twitter to be like, ha ha, that 1994 promo. And it's actually like 1894. Um, oh. <laughs> those sort of things that I'll do every now and then. It's to, to show that illustration and magic is not a separate thing. It, it's just instead of your commissioner being the church to make, you know, Michelangelo's whatever, it's just wizards to make a thing. And you can yeah. have your own culture and interaction with it. And then all I'd like to think all these magic players would be like, oh, yeah, I like this art. And when I go to a new city, I go visit a museum to see art like this. Yeah. Right. And then it has this connective ties where people value the art more and talk about art more as a greater level instead of it being this weird side hobby thing. Sure. It's this overall thing. So, no, it is my hobby to do that, but it brings me a lot of personal joy um, because I've seen people do it. When I bring people to museums, whenever I go to Vegas or wherever, I'll hold them by the hand and be like, no, we're not going to the pop art. We're going to sit around in the 18th century, 17th, 19th century. And you're going to find the fair plains art. Good luck. You're going to find it as a vertical. And they walk through and they're like, oh, yo, look at this one. And I'm like, okay, you now see a nugget of an idea, magic and analog. And now you've had a new experience that's widened your view of what art is. Wow. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Uh, and it's just using this tiny little thing I can impact. I can impact magic art. I can't write art books. I can't be an art professor and impact millions of people. But I can, I can impact this thing really yeah. really well and then once eventually there's a bunch of curators and there's a bunch of worthless mics and a bunch of people doing this freelance stuff all over the world i'm no longer necessary and that's the goal of where i want to be is when there's other people replicating and doing their own thing and then i can sit back and be like okay good we've now raised the bar of what is normal and uh it's a greater appreciation and things should be bettered by that I've, that's insane like uh i was just looking while you were talking, I was looking through some of your tweets and I did see some of some things that were like, here's this old swampland. Can you believe this is a secret lair, right? It's clearly a painting from the whenevers. <laughs> um, I mean, it's just, it's just wild to think through. Like, yeah, it's like, um, I think for me, I'm not someone that like looks at the art a lot. And a lot of times, Mr. Kamo and I, when we do this show, because um, my eyesight's terrible and I have to zoom in on TCG player a lot of times and tapped out, I'll be like, oh, hey, could you tell in the art that this X, Y, and Z is happening? And both of us are just like, this is a card we played and seen 10,000 times in the world, as opposed to like when you go to, you know, a museum, you can sit like the, the function of the museum is you're sitting there looking at the art and looking at those details, right? Whereas when this game, you, some of that stuff can kind of get missed out or like cycled out when you're just like trying to be like, oh, I got to remember this trigger and everything else, right? Yeah, and, that happens and to everybody, top, right? And on top of that, Mike, there's a large piece of the magic community that doesn't even look at the art. When we mm, had Jim uh-oh. from Spike Feeders on, we had pointed out like um, he had one of the Senate Azorius uh, islands uh, listed as his island for his deck, 
And when I highlighted over it, because it just said Island Foil, and it was like this special promo that they only did in uh, Japan for in-store events. And I was like, holy crap, man, this is so cool. Have you ever looked at this? He's like, oh, I never look at art. I just read the text box and I just play it. So, I mean, that's just even more to this point of like when you can actually get in front of something, you guys, and you're kind of like, hey, it's like, where's Waldo? See if you can go find this in this wing of a museum. And then when people see it, they see those details and they actually sit there and can actually focus on the art opposed to, well, I just know that this mana crypt has for two mana and I have to flip a coin at the beginning of my turn. Everything else on the card is completely irrelevant. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But that's also what draw you to the game. Like, I don't forget that kid in that tent like seeing these Dirkwood boars and they're just mean. They don't like most things. These killer bees are going to get huge. Turns out it's not a permanent effect. I had to learn that. Temporary. That's a nightmare. That's like my first magic memory as well. Amen. Amen, oh, brother. Like I was like, yo, killer bees are not good. And then find out giant spider with mouse friend. Very good. Um, yes. But that, that feeling of what drew you in wasn't the math. Yeah. It wasn't the puzzle because right. you weren't presented with the puzzle. You're presented with the art. Yeah. People often forget that, that the first time you played, you looked at a whole booster. You looked through every single card. You examined every, even going through like the, the bulk bin, you looked at them. And that, that is our formative memory for that. And some people are so far past that they, they don't remember that because it's, it's so irrelevant at the time of high level constructed pro level magic that it's just a visual shorthand. It, it just, okay, that, that's the, that, that it yeah. represents yeah. this thing. So it's effectively Uno. But that's what differentiates strategic card games, right? like Magic is. There is a representation that then ties into deck building of, oh, I want that ship and dragon. I want right. that Lana War Elf. Mm -hmm. And that deck building opens up us as commander players. And I have a quick, I have a quick antidote to go into this. Uh, I lived in China for a year, and that's when I started playing Magic again after playing when I was in high school. And I remember going to a game store and picking up a deck of magic cards because they're like, oh, I, I think I was just there and bored. And I was like rummaging through the games they had and I picked it up. And I literally went through and I was like, okay, I can read the mana cost. I can read the power and toughness. And judging by the art, I'm guessing this is probably like some sort of Drake. That's a 4-4 four, four flyer for five, maybe, Yo. right? Like just because I, you could tell because the artwork tied into it. Um, and, and again, like we don't, that's a whole nother conversation to have but like i think to your point that it, it is like all tied in together on one card frame it is and you blow that up and you learn things and, and, it, and it changes perspectives you know i brought this up the other day with the card regenerate regenerate uh you know as an m10 whatever two drop instant regenerate card creature yeah whatever cares mm -hmm. rebecca gay really cool art that's great but the scene looks like the kiss is regenerating it but that's actually not what it is if you look close it's actually plants regenerating her which is actually mono green and if you look at the art it's actually cropped it's actually they're laying in a pond and it's a koi pond and there's actually fish that got cropped out which is this super more interesting thing of like yeah. oh of course that's how she's regenerating you brought over the pond that's the healing pond or something and the special plants sure that makes way more sense but when it's this big you never get to experience that so the context changes and your relationship with that thing changes and I just find those things to be fun. They're enjoyable to me to be like, oh, oh, that's neat. Um, and some person might be like, I need that for my bathroom. I need to buy that art. I need to see that in the mornings. That sounds great. Um, and then you find those people at GPs because they always pick up you know, a print or whatever. Yeah, that's really cool. So in your opinion, Mike, 
How do you believe magic art has matured over the years? Uh, yeah. Equality. Easily quality. Uh, just look at Alpha. Just look at it. Actually <laughs> look at it. And not like your boom boom that you play in Commander. Like, look at the comments and yeah. really examine that. And you're like, this is not the same. It's like, well, of course not. It was student work. Sure. You got to think, like, Jeff Easley working for D&D could have worked on Magic, but they couldn't pay him enough because he was established. Michael Whalen was established. They turned it down because they're like, stock? Yeah. $50? No, absolutely not. So they had these people in place. And from that, when the game grew, game grew, game grew, you started to get like a Donato, you know, in 1996, 1997. And that was like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, okay. We got some boom boom monitors now, okay. You know, and that kept getting raised into the people that can actually draw hands correctly, like good hands, right? Into, you know, that was, you know, late, late 90s. Sure. To actual realistic creatures that look correct that you didn't be like ah something's goofy about that face it's like oh that is sure. actually what it looks like to like a like a Falcon baga that i was like oh, okay to chris ron that's like that looks like a sunset mm-hmm. that just does and that's that's not arguable like that's abundantly clear it what the pushback is to say it they look the same and it's a thing i, I always struggle with because the art isn't that much different in the last like 10 years it really isn't what's different is which cards you play with Mm -hmm. so if you play with a lot of planeswalkers because it's very specific of like how far in between nostrils and how what the eyes look like there needs to be more edits so more likely digital right because edits are easier that makes sense right logically so more of your planeswalkers are digital so when you play a lot of planeswalkers in decks they're going to look digital, clearly, right? Same with, like, certain sets that people like to play with all the time. You want to play with new Phyrexia all the time? All right. It's very shiny. Hard to do that with traditional paint. It's usually a digital person. So if you have a Phyrexian-based deck, it's going to look the same. So by choosing artists for certain sets and they have a certain power level, you tend to see the same things. And back when we played in the, you know... 90s early 2000s there was no mythic rare right there was rarities you played throughout everything like a brainstorm great example um but now usually your deck is full of rares even commander products you're usually fully rares and that's fine but it changes the perception of what it looks like because seb mckinnon doesn't get bad cards yeah Mm -hmm. so you see his stuff more often if he did if you got bad cards all the time you wouldn't see his stuff all the time like, ain't nobody saying, hey, this looks like John Stanko. Yeah. Nobody. Even though he's a delightful or, uh, man, he's a great teacher. Who are the who are the two that we have? There's there's someone whose name like is like something something Boros and something something Zoltan. Right? Yeah, that, yeah, that just the, happened the, to be a bunch of cards that we see. The, like the joint. Those of two guys used to work together all the time and they don't anymore. They all do separate, but they obviously have a style, and then once they broke off, they still look like the style because the Two guys working on the thing. Yeah. So that change of adding a mythic rarity and and forcing some of those to be played in decks more has narrowed what the artistic styles can be. But also, we don't really want poorly painted rhinos anymore. Yeah. Don't really want that with ugly with like backgrounds that are really simple. Like yeah. So you have a higher end painter. It's gonna look like a Ryan Pankos that is you know really well done and he has background stuff and it's actually like. 
foreground, midground, background. Like, it looks like a painting. When you raise that bar and everybody does that, you're like, oh, it looks the same. It's like, well, no, it's just correct. (laughs) 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 A person isn't floating in space anymore to be like, oh, they're flying. And you're like, okay, that's yeah. yeah. So that's the really big difference of it. But they're actively very much trying at this to say if Seb McKinnon, if it's if it's like a bullseye, Tyler Jacobson is dead center middle. Right. He can do digital traditional, but his stuff looks high quality. It looks like magic. Seb McKinnon is near the outside because it, it's still magic, but it just looks really different. Storybooky, sure. Sure. And the goal is to have the whole spectrum represented such that we get these nostalgic vibes. That's why like a Tom Bax a comeback comes back every now and then, like Double Masters and so on. Same with like Mark Tadine, why he sneaks back in, you know how he does his little piping stuff, you know, like the uh the Urza's Tower, the little panorama thing. Mm, like Yeah. That was the piping stuff and it's next to each other and it's like a ribcage. It just looks like him, but it is reminiscent of the older style of what it was. It's just, he paints a hell of a lot better now than when we're back then in real talk. So they're trying to do that more because people have an outcry about it. And then they went way on the other end of the pendulum by adding secret layer where nothing looks the same anymore. <laughs> Which even I really struggle with some of that when playing. And I'm like, ah, I know what that card is. I gotta read it real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, so someone as that tracks down art, and you're, you're kind of hitting on it with the secret layer stuff and the evolution to the more digital, but Wizards has definitely gone for a more modern look when it comes to art, or at least it appears that way. We're trying to become almost like Disney, where everything's CGI. Do you feel like this new modern look is a little harder to sell than the traditional fantasy style? No, because the game's never been bigger. Oh. Yeah. Oh. The same thing that attracted you to play is not the same thing that attracts people these days to play. Because it's a different time, different audience. Marketing's better. Yeah. You didn't have the intro of Arena. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the intro of Duels of the Planeswalkers when we played. We had a tent, unsleeved, playing my <laughs> world championship deck, cards, whatever. We can do stop me. It's fine. Like, I know what's coming next. Like, it's a different onboarding experience, but what stays uniform is the art. The art may change, but they don't have any other reference other than Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, digital games like uh, um, the tower defense games, whatever, which all look to be kind of similar. It's not that far off compared to, like, hand-drawn Lorwyn, right? Right. It just doesn't look like anything these days anymore. But if you brought that out now, a new player would say, like, this doesn't... This doesn't look anything like this. You, and, you, and and instead of it being like celebrated, there is no prior concept. Mm-hmm. Do you so see, it really do you, is fitting the audience. Do you think that like, because I think of the two sets that we at least know about or the ones that like, because the, the Dungeons and Dragons one is like more controlled. But like, I do you feel that it's because now, and I think I already know the answer to this, but I'm still like want to make sure I'm checking myself. Do you think because League of Legends is really popular because um overwatch is very popular right and now those same people are watching their streamers watch them on arena those same people are now like oh what is this game it do you think that is like the genesis behind a set like uh kamigawa neon dynasty or whatever that is such a radical departure from any previous magic set being it like this cyberpunk theme do you think that's what drives it or do you think it's honestly do you think it's like i would call that um 
I, negative i can't think of the word for it like it's being driven because they know that product will sell because people like anime and like the cyberpunk look or do you think it's just a natural evolution of trying to keep up with like trends and that's sort of <clears throat> it's it's the marketing driving the uh, yeah. the product right the sales driving the product yeah. rather than the idea generation yeah i mean it's a little a little b i mean right away when Acoria came out they're like whoa, 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 whoa this just this already came out in a different product Right. And the same thing happened when Zendikar came out and people were playing World of Warcraft and they're like, ah, well, oh. I've seen this already. I've seen these these floating lines already. I, I know this already. It, part of it is there is no new idea. Like <laughs> yep. the floating yep. land, the metal world. These aren't new. None of this stuff is new. Hell, even Alien wasn't new to, to <laughs> people. Like it was a bit in books a very long time. It, it, it's just how are they taking that angle of it where you are a planeswalker that travels to different places right like how are you using your brand to show that which in the past they did not have that which people dislike i i I get um but that piece of how can you show someone that's going to be going to a bunch of different places but making sure that people can actually follow you that it's the same place one way is to show planeswalkers in the same place right like we get that and you're like, I've seen too much Jace lately. People complain about everything. But that grounds the game into being the same freaking thing. Like, the Weatherlight was the same story for years, but the art all looked the same. If you go back between, like, Invasion, Odyssey, Apocalypse, it all looks the same. Yeah. It looks to be the same set. So people got used to that style. When it changed, everyone was like, whoa, why is this different? It's like, well, we're not on Dominaria anymore. Mm. <laughs> we're in the same place for, like, ever. Yeah. Cripes. But now having it where it's like, well, we went to we went to Kamigawa, and you know people were okay with it. It's not the concept; it was the gameplay that people really hated. Obviously, right, right. So you have to find something that it's not just a retread of the exact same thing, which they're very much learning with over visiting Zendikar and over visiting uh, Innistrad, which mm-hmm. is real criticism. But people want it. What, yeah. what, what do you do? People are like, I want to see more vampires. And you're like, all right, fine. We'll give you more vampires. Fine. But <laughs> no like werewolves. The- Let's get it straight it, here. Very it, few yeah, werewolves, yeah. but piles of zombies, piles of angels, piles of vampires. It's what the people want, right? It is what the people want. But that's the, that's the balancing act of if the game was in decline, if the game was contracting, it would be a much different discussion mm. of... Oh, we need to go back to the hits. Oh, we need to re-release Innistrad and do the draft again, but we're not going to have the hexproof and the cleaver stupid bullcrap again. Oh my god, those sure. are worst. Like we're going to fix that, but they're not doing that because they didn't need to. But there are some things in the shelf that they slowly add, like dogs. Dogs have been asked for literally twenty years. Mm-hmm. Fix hounds to dogs. Everybody wanted that, but then eventually it's like, oh, we have a car set. This works in. Yep. Right. Yep. We need to have eventually a futuristic set. Okay, well, let's do the jokey one. And unsets take years to make. This They aren't, like, on a schedule. I don't know if people knew that. Like, it takes, like, you're continually working on this weird stuff, and then it just gets held for a few years because they're goofy. And then when they have a time to fit in, they're like, oh, unset, great. And they pop it in there. Huh. But this idea of the futuristic thing, they tested a little bit in Return to Ravnica, if you remember seeing the Demir. Where they had the one piece oh, that had the, the code, the matrix, yeah. the matrix, like the notion you know, rain, the matrix. Oh, yeah, exactly that's right. what I mean. And everyone was like, "Man, that is super cool." And they're just like, "We got you, fam. We got you. We <laughs> got you so good." So like, they do these little tests every now and then throughout, and then it just comes out of nowhere. And you're like, "No, no, they've already been doing this." But if you didn't play that card, you didn't notice that art in depth. 
you're not going to retain it. And right. that's why I see that if you don't play it in a constructed deck, people do not remember it at all. Literally at all. It's like what fairies actually look like in Lorwyn. Do people actually remember what their feet look like? They're not no. normal feet. They're super goofy feet. Or like the, the elves oh. have like cloven hooves. Oh, yeah. And people remember that. Huh. You had to play at the time to retain that memory. And when you see them, like, that's weird. It's like, we go back and you're like, oh, God, they are weird. Oh, my so God, weird. they are weird. They're like little claws, they're like praying mantis claws. <laughs> it's super goofy. They're very insecta- insectoid. So that's what how magic made it unique. And then when they return to it for the people that missed or the people that forgot, it's still fresh. But then the story has to coincide to make it a new thing. So I'm fully in favor of this new Kamigawa because I played the first time and it was, uh, yeah, it was neat. But gameplay was terrible. But now it's obviously a modern thing in, in mind that should be a little better. And I don't know. I kind of like the idea of trying something brand new like that. And since Secret Lair makes anything possible, works for me. <laughs> so uh, kind of still tied to the uh, where Tuck was kind of talking about the digital products and Wizards. Mike and uh, don't worry. No one from Wizards is listening. Um, do you believe? They surprisingly do, though. You can't even say that. They totally check in every now and then. You guys don't even know. You don't even know that. They totally do. Because I had a I had a Vorthos podcast and they would sneak in every now and then. They oh, never really? tell you until you meet them in person. And they're like, yeah, I watched these three episodes for you. And I'm like, what? What? Like, yeah, that was neat. And then you're There's like, wait, did I talk to... trash on them during yeah, those like, episodes? Wait, <laughs> the one where I literally said, f*** wizards and, and your yeah, high they, they hear those pieces. But whenever there is spicy commentary, especially directed toward a person, they will always hear. Oh, the modern, they, yeah, the yeah, always they, always, yeah. they will hear. It'll always get back to them. But anyways, go on. So the the question I have is, do you believe not anything that you may have heard, but do you believe that the success of Arena and its competitors like Hearthstone will influence Wizards with their artists for future sets because they want the art to be something that's more digitally. Oh, uh, like pops uh, on a screen. More, more digitally, has more digital appeal than staying traditional and, hey, this is just a platform, but we are the same game and everything looks the same. Or do you think they're going to try to get the artist, hey guys, we need you to do this design because we actually are going to have animations with it. Because on the game, the monkey's going to wave its arms or something like that. So we need the art to be able to do that. Do you think Wizards will get to that point if Arena truly does become a success? No, I don't think so. I think they commission it separate. Okay. Uh, okay. Simply because the quality is so high right now, you got to think someone working on Hearthstone, they already know who they are. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the biggest issue is not, I want to work with this brand, I don't want to work with this brand, whatever. It's pay and am I busy? Mm-hmm. Straight up. Like Vincent Prost, right? Our boy. Worked at Midway in the 90s, worked on all sorts of crazy video game super cool guy lives in chicago he works with guillermo del toro on movies he did shape of water concept art when magic calls him he's like yeah i'm busy yo (laughs) not gonna make no cool bull islands because i'm busy same with carla ortiz she made doctor strange straight up that was her job she worked for marvel and designed doctor strange's whole outfit Hey, do you want to do another taste set? Yeah, I'd love to. Can you wait, I don't know, a year until I'm yeah. done with this? Unhappily. <laughs> so that's more of the issue than I'm working on this other things. Forced email is a great example. Super cool guy that, you know, and his dog Spooky uh, out of Portland. Uh, he's just busy in other products and he'd love to do a little mix of everything because, you know, it's fun to change up muscles and things like that. Sure. But it's often wizards will see something high quality in an art book. 
Yup, totally. Because you can always animate stuff. It's amazing what they can do behind the scenes. Like, they're not even tall, like, like calling up the Skywalker Ranch or Industrial Light and Magic. They're not even doing that yet, and they totally could. Like, instead of that, they would just find 3D modelers that would make a brand new art that, like, literally was, like, <laughs> laid over the top. Because you right. can all ZBrush it and then just... Sure literally just match it in there and it's just so much easier okay. than doing that and it's also a different muscle uh skill set for artists to do that so they would just do it in addition and it's more of there's there's a shortage of artists that are high quality and you're look for that first bar none always we want top quality stuff all the time then if they're busy uh, yeah, we're gonna have things delayed or we're gonna mm-hmm. see who can take double up or something to daisy chain that together to make it work but that's the biggest issue that people have. I mean, Ryan Pankos made beer labels. He was busy making beer labels for a little while. Like, that's cool. Like, all right, I'm busy doing this. I can't work on this, like, super cool Kenrith portrait because I'm doing sure. this other thing. But I can do something else for you when I'm done with this. And then, you know, they work on other things and they work them into the schedule. The scheduling piece is a thing people really don't understand how important that is when you do a push. Art gets made during here. Some person's busy in a movie. Some person's working on Hearthstone. And it's not to say that they have to say no. It's just like, well, I can do this, but I can't put in a full quality that you need. Sure. I can turn it crap if you want me to turn it crap. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't want crap. Yeah. So they have to just say, oh, no, 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 no. But in two months, if you have like another wave, I'd love to. And that's how they work people in. Now, now speaking of crap, before we get to this last question, I have a quick one for you. What is your least favorite magic artwork of all time? And why is it recycle? <laughs> it's not recycle. It's not even recycle. Um, that is bar none. And while you're thinking about that, we can go to the next one. But so I was just good. thinking we we're it's talking so about good. What else? What it's else? So good. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh, oh, Mr. Trump, we've it's... discussed this before. You and I. It's I, I did not remember. <laughs> this is not good. It's such a piece of its time, like that. Yeah, it's super not cartoony. It's... Like I. No, there is no bad art. It's just that things don't fit. It explains the thing. Oh my god! You're recycling your card draws. It fits the assignment. It makes me want um, to recycle everything I've ever thought about liking this game. Got him. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're gonna have to adjust this last question for you, Mike, because you kind of hit on it a little bit earlier. So I think I already know your thought on it. So the question was, if there was one set that you wish would be the new magic art norm, what would it be? But based on your comment earlier talking about how they pick artists for certain sets for a certain aesthetic or a certain power, I believe you would say, I don't want a norm. I like the diversity and I like the thing to fit the set. Is that where the camp you'd sit in? Some people aren't into dark chocolate. And if you do a whole set of dark chocolate, everyone's like, I don't, I'm a licorice guy. And you're like, all right, that's where I'm black licorice. I'm like, that's even worse. But you do you. That's fine. And then they come out of left field with saying, I like candy corn. And you're like, get out of here. Just leave. Yeah, I like those brown little like rappy like Halloween (laughs) things. You're like, where do those even come from? And they're always in the bag. Like, who buys these? Where do you get these? Oh, they With candy corn. I think this was a Dane Cook or uh, I think it was a Dane Cook joke. Uh, Along with candy corn, all of it was produced and purchased in 1920. That's Louis Black. Louis Black. Black. Black, The the biggest thing is that I don't I want to see a little bit for everybody. It's. It worries me when people say, I want a whole set by Seth McKinnon. It worries me because they're not actually looking at art. They're only looking at a very narrow view. 
I have a favorite artist, everything I have of theirs I love, and I try to fit in as much of that as I can. Instead of really looking widely to say, who are the black artists? Are they making different stuff than normal? Like you look at Jarrell, who learned the hands from Donato, but he paints black hands. So the lighting is different. The feeling is different because he's a black guy. He lives in the South. Yeah. Like that changes those things. So whenever I hear that, it's like, oh, we need to do a whole set by this. This needs to be totally of this variety. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But if it's all traditional, you lose Magali. Mm-hmm. It's all, if it's all digital, you lose a Chris Ron where they have, you have to have a little bit of everything and, and sets that I think struggle with that are ones that are too uniformly in one category. Larwin's great. It's a great test of that, but there's things that are some lacking that you had to force people into things uh, like uh, uh, Rebecca Gay had to paint Heartmender. Look up this card. Look it up. Look it up. It'll take you a second. Check out Scryfall. You know you're going to be checking Scryfall. Every check Scryfall. Of course. Yeah, it's, it's might as well be sponsored. Goat. It's GOAT. I, I'm on their Patreon. You know I support them. Uh, but you look at Heartmender and you're like, that's Rebecca Gay. Wait, what? They actually <laughs> asked her to make this and she's like, are you sure? And they're like, yes. And that's weird. She's like, all right, sure. But that's not what you expect of her. Yeah. You know, that's not what she paints. But the set demanded that style. Mm. That, so, that, so that you're, it's like you're almost forcing a, the artist out of their uh, proficiency into something that's less proficient. And to use a sports ball reference, it would be like trying to say, hey, Mr. Quarterback, I need you to go run routes as a wide receiver. And it's like, I could probably do it, but I'm not going to be as good. You probably won't be throwing the ball. Trick plays worked for the Eagles, and I am actually a former. I was a Division One track athlete and played oh, okay. in high school, oh, nice. so I'm a bit of an aberration in that sense. Me and Chris Van Meter talk about football all the time. We're like one of the ten people that play. <laughs> um, but that sort of thing is is what I see to say. I want everyone to be this certain thing, and you're like, well, yeah. Some people really struggle with landscapes or landscape artists to say, draw this scene with horses, and they're like, okay. <laughs> I've never driven a, right. on a horse before, but yeah. I guess I'll give it a shot. Struggle, like, uh, like try to I draw. Live, a I live on an island, so I've never seen a horse before. So now you're <laughs> doubly <laughs> difficult. Difficult, but those are the things that I look at to say. Like, there okay. are sets that I enjoyed more, but uh, when I got too much peanut butter, I wanted chocolate, mm-hmm. right? Or I wanted you know sweets or like hard candy, and that, and I like when the pendulum swings back and forth like that, where it's daytime in Theros. Yeah dark in Innistrad. I love that swing whenever those things happen. They bring me a lot of joy because then in a given year I get to see this wide berth of people. And some people that don't fit certain sets, like if it's a bright daytime set, Dave Kendall doesn't really make a lot of sense. He tends to paint darker, like kind of spooky Grixis stuff. Yeah, that's not going to make sense in Jumpstart. Yeah. Like, it, 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 like Dog in Meadow, like it ain't going to work. And that's okay. <laughs> totally fine. It's just, I just want to see that range for things. And if people can have a range, that's even better. Yeah. But as an art director, you minimize risk of people. You want to set them up to succeed. You want to paint a demon. And I've been seeing it in your personal work. My man, like right now, Sam White. has been drawing landscapes, did that sky cloud expanse. Super cool stuff. He likes spooky though. He made it in the spectrum. The art book, unpublished category, with a spooky angel instead of wings, it was fingers. Creepy. Super creepy. Who loves a spooky? Someone like him, you need to figure out how to get him into some spooky stuff. Even though he can do landscapes like a beast. That's really All cool. Right. So 
Well, I, so I had one thing to that, and I think this is actually where Secret Layers may fit a good niche. For those people in the camp, Mike, that say, I want an entire Seb McKinnon set, or I want an entire Mark Poole set, just have them do a Secret Layer, and that's perfectly acceptable. Hey, you're going to buy the Mark Poole drop. I like Mark Poole. I actually got one of his uh, signed playmats at Vegas a couple years ago. Uh, it was the Birds of Paradise one where he had the little shadow box and he would actually hand draw whatever you wanted there. So it's like, hey, I love your art. I want you to draw birds on my bird's mat. And so I bought up like four or five of those sets because it's like, I love Mark Poole. That's what I want. And, you know, I think that's really where secret layers outside of, you know, card availability, blah, blah, blah. But I think from an yeah. artist's perspective, that's that's a very good platform for, hey, I want to draw spooky stuff. Can, let's do a secret layer. Let's make it all spooky. Get them. Totally. So like we saw the Dan Frazier revisit, you know, the signets and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, they're totally feel yeah. like his moxin. I mean, they're different, of course, but sure. the feel is there. Yes. And people totally that were like, that is only my jam. I only use those versions. I'm all in favor of that. I love that thing. And whenever they have people that are known for certain things mm -hmm. and love when they get to revisit, and I think Secret Lair is a perfect opportunity. It's just Secret Lair is a really interesting part of you need them to sell well. So they have to be popular enough yep. that sell sales will work, that enough people are fans of them. But at the same time, it needs to be something interesting that, that fits their category. Yep. Right? Like Phyrexian Arena just got reprinted in the uh, uh, Commander Set Black, right? That would have been a perfect candidate. Without that being there, certain people can't paint that because they, they don't do spooky. They don't do the yep. darkness. They don't do that well. And that's okay. But if that person had a secret layer, they wouldn't be able to do that card. So some of those things, I like to see these weird reprints that we really want to get made. But for whatever reason, they're not freaking reprinting them. Gavin, you're killing me right now. <laughs> um, what is it? What, what's the what's the big one? It's like the red one. Um, uh, 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 repercussion. That one driving oh. me nuts. Cards like 25 bones. No reason it needs to be that expensive. Commander playable, not on the reserve list. What is you doing? That should be a secret <laughs> layer. Should be a secret layer. But that's a perfect example of something like that that we need reprinted. We want to be reprinted, but it's kind of weird to fit into a set. Secret layer. Who can do this painted all goofy? What's a repercussion of something you could have? Let's figure out an artist. Let's figure out a theme and make that work. But those things I love. I love doing that because that's that thing that Tom Jencott, the uh, uh, art director, really plays with. To see these these cards that need reprints, and then he picks people out of it, and he's like, ah, it's kind of work, and then it does. It's great. That's really cool. And Secret Layer is totally opened up to artists that I don't think can fit in any normal set, like the Rock Concert one. Um, oh, yeah. That, yeah. I mean, there was another one that I think was similar to that, where it was like movie posters, maybe. Um, yeah. And, and so there's cool. some of those artists that just like, they will not fit Core 22. <laughs> it's just... You know, you look really cool, but you at the moment are just not a fit for our, I guess, brand. But hey, I got this really cool secret layer thing to where we can kind of do whatever the hell we want. Let's get crazy right. with it. Right. And I think people want some of those, that that deck building variety of mm -hmm. I see this thing in the market. It's like those vinyl money toys that you can like customize them yep. and paint them and they're all like collectible, whatever. Like some of those like street art things that they're like, we want to figure out mm -hmm. not only how to get that audience, don't get me wrong, there's a marketing thing behind sure. it, but we want to have something that reflects changing tastes in duh, 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 art. Mm -hmm. Literally, if people have this art in their home, 
how and and I'm not talking about like a Bob Marley like vine, like a, sure, a, a sure. blacklight poster, but how do we get really popular modern contemporary art yeah. that people buy posters of and get arts off Etsy of that they yeah. want in their homes? How can we have that fit into the game? And if it can't fit into a set, what a perfect opportunity for Secret Lair. And that's the piece that it's a reflective of culture, and they're watching those things like altar sleeves, like yep. altarists that people are all up in arms about. I'm like, no, 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 this is good because then it forces more creative expression instead of the same. Oh, we're doing border alterations and we're going to the edge, and they're like, okay, we're going to just do that as cards. Everyone's like, yeah, okay, cool. What's the new new that we're going to work on? And then people, you know, like changing cards that are only in English to Japanese. Yep. Then then so. I. We're doing Alphorexian now. Like, I love that. It's a continual back and forth. It's just the, the tennis game where you hit the ball over the net. Sometimes it takes years to get hit back, but it does come back. Wow. Wow. What well, a great metaphor. <laughs> yeah, this, this has been great. Uh, yeah, no I, 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 don't, I don't have any other questions. Tuck, is there anything that you wanted to ask Mike uh, before we uh, get his final thoughts? Well, I already did my recycle bit. Uh, I was waiting on that one for a, for a while there. Um, it didn't it didn't land the way that I thought it would. But no, this this has really been great, Mike. Um, I think this is an. I think we, we've had um, we've had experts on commander or modern or legacy on this, but I think this is like a real unique um, experience that I've had at least of just like hearing all these ways of looking into it. And honestly, uh, you know, as a guest, we are required to compliment you no uh, but for really like this really this really has inspired me to like look into art more when i'm playing the game right because there's a lot of times where you're just sitting there with your hand being like well i got nothing else to do and big tuck is taking a 30 minute long turn so i'm just gonna sit and actually like look at the art as opposed to go get another 17 beers or whatever so um this has really been this has really been truly enlightening and and, and so fascinating so um you know thank you for for walking us through all this all right, I do have a question for both of y'all. It's, oh, it's yes. the heavy question. Okay. It's a heavy question. You have, you, you, <laughs> can can yeah. you kill Big Tuck tonight? Uh, can, can you? I was just at the Mall of America the other day, and they have a place called Untucked, and I'm like, oh, oh. sponsorship. Get the Untucked shirt with big old tuck. Yeah. Get them. Untucked. Untucked. It's like I, your I kinda, unset ooh. brother. I, I, I think we need to make a, make Un, a couple phone how, calls. How have you not talked to Untalked already about Unfinity, your boy? Like, do I just got to do your sponsorship for you? Pretty much, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure if I tell them that, A, I play Magic, the guy'd be like, Ugh, nerd, you don't work in finance. <laughs> New audience. <laughs> New audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you want? But that's not even my question. My no, question is, uh, uh, Tuck, how many decks do you got? How many commander decks do you have? How many commander decks do I have? Yeah, it's a two-part uh, question. I'm, I'm probably at, I am probably at 40, I was at 52 at my highest, which is entirely too many. And then I really cut down. I think I'm at like 45 now. Okay. Great point. Cause I know, I, I know the, the combo man himself has a bunch. Um, so what is your favorite card to play because of the art? Think about this for a second. Now think about like, Cards you play nonstop. I'm talking about one green, green, coming to play, sack him. You know he get in the land. You know he drawn a card. But which art do you choose? I, I Because have there, is, there is cards in between that many yeah. decks that every time you need that card, you choose it, and it shows up at a statistically higher rate because you love the art and look of it. What is it? I am going to steal one 
because I can't I can't beat this. Um, I th- there are cards that I like the art of, but and we talked about them as well. So Scooty Shuffle and be- I, I can't beat this because he 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 started writing this card before I did. He has a playmat of it, and I can't think of an art that I like that's more beautiful than this one. Um, and that card is Gift of uh, Orzova, right? Colorless, uh, Black Hybrid, Black Hybrid, Enchantment Aura, Enchant Creature, Enchant Creature, plus one, plus one, has Fly instead of yeah. Lifelink. Oh, that's beautiful. When that that girl with the wings with the that are stained, stained glass, glass. Yeah. is just is just really really incredible. And he has it in a um, he has it in a playmat. So I've gotten to see this art over and over and over again. Yeah. Get him. And Get him. again, I'm sorry. I know it's like kind of cheating, um, but I did help him build a lot of his decks. And if it's running Orzov, it's running this card. Just so yeah. that he can, just so that he can play this card, um, and and uh, it's a Johannes Voss, which I know is he's a pretty big player in the game. I think Johannes right? Voss is kind of a big deal. He did get his own secret layer. That's kind of a big yeah. deal. Yeah. So, anyways, that's that's one that comes to mind for me, even though I'm kind of cheating on it. Mister Combs, hit me. Oh gosh, I've been sitting here thinking, and I think mine's going to be a little bit of a cheat because I actually, Mike, am someone that likes diverse art for all my decks i actually go out of my way to find new art that i haven't seen before to use in my decks um so i think the one though that i would point to and you kind of talked about it earlier and wizards just came out with it i love anything with phyrexian text on the card i am a sucker for that so like i run Phyrexian Planeswalkers with the Phyrexian text from the Secret Layers. I ended up buying like six boxes of it and I'm running almost all of them because I love, I'm even running them in decks that don't make sense because I love that Phyrexian, just that art and the original artist that did the original five Phyrexians. It's just totally metal. It's just super sick. Wow, wow, wow. Um, and, and all of them give this like, dark, gritty, weird, alien physique type thing. So that's one that I think I would point to, but I'm curious, Tuck, is there one that you think, like, is there a card that you always see me? Because see, I have cards that I have in it's, tons it's of decks, ob- but Mr. it's Combo, usually because it's of the obvious. Car- Are you saying Alter the Brood? No, no, oh. no, no, no. There's one that's even more than that. Um, The great Jason Rainville, Persistent Petitioners. Murder? Oh well, that doesn't you, count. Have, you have you have the most you have the most of those in any deck with thirty get in the on, one. That's fair. Get on. That's fair. Hey-o. But yeah, I'd probably say for me, it's anything with Phyrexian text. Like if they actually came out with a set on Phyrexia or involving Phyrexians, and they had promo art that was Phyrexian text, I would buy them all. Even if it was basic lands, a soul ring, I don't care. I want an entire deck of Phyrexian, and I think Mike, this will be kind of where you're getting at. I am someone, I mentioned earlier, I've had a part in my deck building career where I'm not just, oh, this is the coolest new commander, I'm going to build it. I'm going for weird, unique things, and uh, I, I, for, I call it playtesting, uh, but I'm basically proxying an entire commander deck, five colors, and all of the art, I scoured the web for 500-plus-year-old Japanese woodblock art, and all of the cards are going to be in Japanese woodblock, uh, you know, characters, panoramas, and the text will be in Japanese. Um, so that's actually kind of where I'm going. I am looking for what's the niche art thing that would be really cool. And then how can I make an entire deck of that? Because I want a fun story of, hey, guys, 
I'm playing this thing and it's all Japanese or it's all dark, gritty. Um, to me, that's interesting opposed to, hey, I'm going to play this deck. It has 18 combos and it's a lot of fun. Sure. So two things on that. First, when they did the jumpstart Phyrexian land, that was for you. Yes. Like that was for people like <laughs> yes. you, straight up. Yep. So th that's a, oh, that was for you. Cool. The second piece is the uh, uh, the, the all Japanese mystical uh, yep. archives with with the the Yukio block prints. You're like, oh, this is just a Japan thing. And for those of us that will look a lot of art, it's like, oh no 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 no. no. There's people that will pinpoint that, and then they will never use a different version. They might, you know, do their own proxy thing to have it in English sure, or whatever. Sure. But it's going to be only that period going forward. So I, that's that's enlightening to me because it shows that there are. It's varied interest of, of what you want to see, but yeah, you're still willing to to, to look off um, the, the, the narrow focus of like, I'd love Magical Christmas Land to be this, but even then I would still have other decks to do that, but I'd have this yeah. one deck that'd be like my jam. Yep. Almost like a like too much sugar that you'd have sometime where you like mainline and pixie sticks, but you can't do that every <laughs> night because, you know, bad for diabetes. But like, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful to hear that. That's been that's been fun for me. I appreciate that, guys. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, our pleasure. Well, guys, that's gonna wrap up forty life at a dash. In that last segment, Squeed dives into those creative juices with the Weatherland. Well, ladies and Vorthos nerds, Squee McGee has. Uh, we'll just say he's a little tied up um, in my crawl <laughs> space. Uh, so I'm going to be taking over the weather. Report. I heard his screams last time I visited you. Can I get in on this as well? That was weird. Sure. <laughs> um, well, and so I wanted to talk four color partners. And so oh, Mike, boy. you being your here first time on here, we do this thing to where we try to find cards that just do not see play in commander. And we try to say like, what would it take to make a deck that's viable? And usually we use EDH rec and it's like if it has less than 500 decks on there, we can consider that a little fringy. And so today we are talking everything but red, which I believe is Witchmaw. And we are talking Sadar, Kondu of Jamura. Oh, sure. And we're talking Silas Ren, Seeker Adept. Interesting. So if you're okay. not familiar, uh, Sadar, Kondo, both of them have partners, so you can have them in the command zone. Uh, Sadar is two colorless Silencia, legendary creature, human knight, two, five. It has flanking, so whenever a creature without flanking blocks Sadar, it gets negative one, negative one until end of turn. And creatures your opponents control with flying or reach can't block creatures with power two or less. Um, so, you know, we're trying to figure out how can we get through the red zone? How can we do a little bit of damage? But then Silas Wren, Seeker Adept, is a two-two for a colorless Demir, artifact creature, human, and it has Death Touch, but when it deals combat damage to a player, you get to choose target artifact card in your graveyard. You may cast that card this turn. So you can see the little bit of the gimmick. You know, uh, Sadar Khan is going to let Silas Wren get through, plus your other tiny creatures. And uh, Silas Wren is going to allow you to repurpose artifacts. Artifacts are one of the easily most removable things in the game. So, you know, that's going to happen quite a bit. And since we have Vorthos Mike on, I wanted to make sure some of the cards were very old art and different and also potential multiple different art styles for the cards. Uh, so the mm -hmm. first one we're going to start with is Spellseeker. Uh, two colorless blue creature human wizard, a 1-1. And oh, when sure. it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an instant or sorcery card. 
uh, with converted mana cost two or less, reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle your library. I really like this because it's it gets you a, an instant or sorcery that you may need. It could be your removal. It could be your counter. But with our art person on, we have some very cool art. We obviously have the original from Battle Bond, where it's almost like she's casting some sort of Doctor Strange-like spell. Like she's over here trying to open her own portal to the multiverse. But then there is a Judge promo uh, from 2020 that I absolutely love. It's done by, and hopefully I don't slaughter this, is it Anna Pottermora? I believe oh, it's close. She's Polish. It's tough. I know. So, uh, but the art is this uh, gal. She's in a field. She's holding a staff. But then there's this ethereal bird coming down from the sky. And you don't know. Is it helpful? Is it attacking? It has red eyes, which is scary as hell. And she has her hand to the chest. So I thought this was a pretty cool. Yeah, art, cool. A very cool effect um, for this potential uh, partner pairing. Definitely go get, go get some, uh, <clears throat> go get some, maybe a tutor, maybe something else with that. Get in the red zone. I've always been a big fan of small seeker. Uh, I'm not the, I'm not a big fan that she's $30 now, which I didn't know until right now, this moment. So putting in the dollars. Yeah, no, absolutely right. The, the, I mean, this, you should want to do just blink this and you blink it yep. for days and just have a great time doing that. Sure. Fine. But I, I like the idea that you have to f attack with your stupid little blue creatures um, instead, I think ninjutsu right away. Like, yeah. oh, of course, it's going to be ninjutsu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you need your ninjutsu stuff to actually matter yep. uh, to do it. So it has to enter the battlefield and actually do something. And every time these things attack, I'm terrified of them. It, because as soon as I block it, yeah. they're going to do some shenanigans <laughs> and it's going to blink or some sort of like ninjutsu. There's going to be some gimmick. It, they're yeah. never just hitting me for one. It gets yeah. dumb like that. But with this sort of condo, that's. It lowers that expectation of maybe this is just a stupid one, one. right? And then they just get them real quick with yeah. something hot, which I like. Totally. <laughs> well, the next one for the deck, this is from Fifth Dawn, illustrated by Jeff Esley, and there's only one art of it ever done. We're talking about Ferropede. F-E-R-R-O-P-E-D-E. -E. Wait, is this an fact? Nope. Three colorless, one one artifact creature insect. It's unblockable, so the Sadar is doesn't really matter, but it's the artifact oh. piece that matters. And when it deals combat damage to a player, you may remove a counter from target permanent. This is a card that, Mike, we would categorize on our other podcast, Bruise and Builds, as a hop card. Something that can kind of deal with issues on the board as they come. And so having this 1-1, that is very low to the ground. It is unblockable, so you can always do it. And like, hey, you know what? That Planeswalker's about to ultimate. Let me go ahead and just... Give someone a taste for one, and I'm going to take a little counter off, may delay you just a hair. And hey, you know what? If someone casts murder on this, well, Silas Wren will be able to get combat damage through, and he'll be able to recast it from my graveyard. And the art is like love, a weird yeah. centipede thing. It so. looks like it looks like the uh, the demon snake from Prometheus. That, like snap that like the snaps the guy's arm and oh, like goes yeah. into him. Right. A little bit. When everyone's like, what kind of biologist would go and yell at a snake on an alien planet? A dumb one. Be like, that'd be, that, that's great. Uh, this is the, one of the few cards that I've seen play uh, to actually deal with the Book of Exalted Deeds. Because oh. it actually puts down an enlightened counter. So it's one of the very few things that does a repeatable. Interesting. Pops it off. Also, I saw someone on that same game with the tiger or the one right after it put a that counter on a mutavault. 
It was very upsetting, and we lost the game. Mr. Combo, your next pick. Uh, the next one we're talking about is Viceling. This is four colorless artifact oh, creature oh, construct. Yeah, uh, and this guy has just the one print done by Kev Walker. And this was a 2-2. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, Viceling deals X damage to that player where X is the number of cards in his or her hand minus four. Yes, this is just Vice on a body, but that's why we like it. It's only two powers, so if you needed to do damage at some point, you can get through unblocked. If it gets blown up, you can bring it back with Silas Wren, and you get some very obscure art, which looks like some sort of like mutant creature with vices for hands, literally vicing someone's elbows and pulling them apart. I'm gonna grab. I'm gonna grab you. I'm gonna grab you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, this, that's art is, art. this art is also gonna come out and grab you. It sounds like. It's, it almost has the clamps, you know, like uh, mm -hmm. uh, from Futurama. It almost has given the clamps. Um, <laughs> The next one we go to, and we only have two more. These are going to be our quote-unquote game winners for the deck. Um, in these colors, there are plenty of ways to make piles of mana, whether it's big black mana stuff, uh, blue doing unfair things, green just being green, and yeah, white sucks for mana. Uh -huh. So I think Mishra's Self-Replicator is a slam dunk Oof. in this deck. Five colorless artifact creature assembly worker. Uh, it's a 2-2, and it has art done by Joseph Meehan, and it states whenever you cast a historic spell, uh, you may pay a colorless. And if you do make a token, that's a copy of Mishra's Self-Replicator. Artifacts, Legendaries, and Sagas are historic. So the thought is, if you have your deck filled with Artifacts, Legendaries, uh, the Sagas, maybe you put it in to be cute, but it's probably more the Artifacts and Legendaries. Uh, you cast it, and hey, you're making tons of mana. Let's pay one. Make another one. Oh, you don't like what I'm doing, and you kill it? Well, I'll bring it back with Silas Wren. Oh, I have an army of them? I'm just going to swing out and kill you. And the art, I... It, <clears throat> it's rad. It's, a, it's, it's cool. A, it's cool art. There's like the one in the back. Yeah. Yeah, but it's hard to see because it's like dark. So Dominaria, I know Mike, you were talking about themes. You know, Theros is light, Innistrad is dark. Dominaria is Dominaria traditionally uh, a lighter plane, darker plane, a little bit of both. It's darker now because they, you know, have had a few apocalypses. You know, just, like a, just a couple. The set, <laughs> if you will about that um but no this it's just a great usage of light here it's 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 almost a, a you can identify the light source and you're like oh it's really dark it's like well it's intentional to be really dark yeah. you get to see the thing in the background with the contrast of the green and gold that's why school colors yeah when they play blue and red mm. or green and gold they 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 pop if you mm. will for lack of a better word but that patina in uh, uh joe meehan has a really good um ability to show especially on metal um, some of this is why he gets like some of like the uh, like Phyrexian uh, saga. It's because he gets sure. that texture super well digitally done, and this is really, really, really hard to show traditionally. You have to like build up paint to really give that complexity of light, so the light hits different ridges. Um, you, it, but digitally, you can do it super easy. Hmm. Um, but no, lovely piece. I, I and it doesn't look like. Mishra's factory. It yeah, doesn't look right. like antiquities. It's not supposed to because mm -hmm. this is supposed to be super old tech brought back that's still around. Of course, it's going to look beat to hell and old. And then the new copy of it is brand, brand freaking new. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, great. Last one. This is my spicy pick, and it's from Mirrodin. Only been printed once. Art done by Arnie Sweckle, Clockwork Dragon. 
Seven colorless artifact creature dragon. It's zero zero with flying. It comes into play with six plus one plus one counters on it. Now you may say, Mr. Combo, that seems a little counterintuitive to the whole if it's two or less, it can't be counter by flying. Intuitive? Counter intuitive? The second block of text states whenever clockwork dragon attacks or blocks, remove a counter from it at the end of combat. And then for three colorless at any time, put a plus one plus one counter on clockwork dragon. So outside of having some very old art, and I think if you guys look this up online, this may, seeing something like this, pull it up side by side with uh, Mishra's self-replicator because you'll see what Mike is talking about, where back in the older art, you know, the quality, you know, as it improved, it's still what it is. But then you look at art today as artists have developed their skills, like as he was talking about the light bending and the way that things go on metal. And you could really kind of see the differences between the two. But the reason we have this in the deck is because eventually it will be two. And the kind of thought and the spice behind it is that you swing, they can't block, and then you dump all your mana into it after uh, declare blockers, and you could just maybe one-shot someone with it. Put Infect oh, okay. on it, same type of thing. You could buff it up, smack the crap out of someone. And that's why we put in the Pharopede. Because Pharopede can start to remove the counters from him that much quicker to make him unblockable. Nice. That's that's shenanigans. I'd go the opposite way and like play a Vorinclex and just make him like a 12-12 and I'm just like swinging hot. Oh my god! Just swinging hot. Why not? (laughs) Like I'm I'm, I'm just going to be coming in with like Urzatron. Boom. Seven mana. 12-12. Do it live. Like that's how I'm going to do it. (laughs) You're a degenerate, and I love it. Uh, we're going to be it's great my nightmare. <laughs> uh, hey, l- real quick, Mr. Combo um, and Mike, here's my witness. <clears throat> I uh, I just put my foreign clucks into a deck for the first <gasps> time in my life. Mr. Combo, back to you about this, uh, great, this great build you have here. Yeah, so that's pretty much the build, guys. I really look at this as you're going to yeah. have... I, I look at this as almost a version of my Shirai Shitsos Caretaker deck. Uh, which, if we're talking about art that I, I'm a big fan of, that Shirai art is just beautiful. It's so sick and old school. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a teeny weeny deck. We're going to be powered two or less, and you're needing to... But in this deck, unlike Shirai, Shirai kind of kills off attrition because things are always coming back at the end of every single person's turn. This, it's going to be more, how do we get tricksy? How do I get through with a bunch of one power, zero power, or two power... And then how do I snap give them infect once they can't be blocked? How do I snap buff them 20 to just smack someone for 20? Um, And then, hey, when people interrupt my plans, how do I get those plans back? And that's where Silas Wren really comes in very, very strong. Yeah, I like the build. like the build. Well, guys, that's going to wrap up the Weatherlight report and kick it back to the news deck to Mike. Big Tuck and myself. <laughs> Thank you for staying with us. And as always, support CMD Tower by retweeting, subscribing, following, liking, sharing, and placing orders through cmdtower.com slash merch. Another way to support your team is head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash cmdtower. With war tiers for all the budgets, there is a way that you, the collective, can help. You can stay in touch with your MTG Action 4 news team by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website, cmdtower.com. You can communicate directly with your team at CMD Tower, at Mr. Commodore 5, all spelled out except for the five, at Dear Squee, at Vorthos Mike, and at Big Tuck Tweeting. Grooming and TG Action 4 News team, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and go look at an art book.